0: Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss an article from the October issue of the Beef Watch Newsletter titled Best Practices for Vaccinating Cattle, Handling Vaccines, and Caring for Animal Health Equipment. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the author, Jesse Fulton, who's a Nebraska Extension Educator and also the Director of the Nebraska Beef Quality Assurance Program. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be here. Well, Jesse, for Nebraska and many of the surrounding states, this is the time of year when we see quite a bit of cattle work being done. Uh, We're seeing calves getting their fall vaccinations. We're seeing some basic annual herd health vaccination occurring as well. In this article, you just highlight what are some best management practices to remember as we do that, and just uh, some fundamental things, I think, to remind us of in terms of doing this well. Uh, Just remind us again of some of those things we should do as we're getting ready to vaccinate and make sure being efficacious with what we do give to these animals.
1: Yeah, Aaron, you know, when I started this article out, I guess I was kind of starting it from a a feed yard perspective if they were going to be receiving cattle or a stalker or backgrounder if they were going to be bringing in some fresh calves. And the reason I did that is because that's usually where we have some issues when it comes to processing those freshly received calves. And that is because sometimes we're quick to jump the gun to go ahead and start vaccinating those calves just as soon as they come off the truck. And that can be an issue for those animals. And so uh, I really want to highlight for producers that we need to wait a period of, you know, 24 to 72 hours before we process them to allow those animals to rest. And, And the reason why is because the whole point of a vaccine is to give those animals an immune challenge and have them build antibodies in order to fight anything that might, they might face later down the road. And so, We need to make sure that they're in the best condition that they can be. And so when they come off a truck, you know, we had a survey that the BQA done uh, several years ago. But, you know, these animals are traveling over 400 miles most of the time. And so when that happens, when those animals come off the truck, you know, they're pretty wore out. Transportation can be one of the most stressful times for an animal. And so they're exhausted. They're nutritionally depleted, depending on how long they've been on the truck. We don't know the last time they had a drink of water or had a meal And so they're more susceptible to illness. And so if we challenge their immune system with a vaccine, we might not get the response we want. And so that's why we want to make sure that we rest these animals and allow them to have access to fresh, clean water. And then if we can give them some long stem hay in order to get a little something in their system so they can bounce back. And then that's when we would want to move into giving a vaccine to these animals. I think as long as producers do that, they can see a better response to that vaccine. You know, vaccines are expensive. And so we want to make sure we get the best bang for our buck. And that's why it's important for us to hold off on uh, vaccinating those animals.
0: So, Jesse, we often see in the popular press just good management practices on handling vaccines, using syringes, making sure we use the right needle, getting that in the right place. But remind us again of some of those fundamentals that really are important to make sure that the vaccine we're giving has the greatest chance of having its effect as it is intended.
1: Yeah. So first things first, we need to read that label. Um, just as soon as we pick up that vaccine from the distributor, wherever we're getting it from, whether it be a a you know pharmaceutical store that we purchase it from. Um, our, Our local veterinarian, whoever, we need to read that label to be sure that we are storing that product and handling that product as it's supposed to be. Those directions are our friend in order to make sure that our vaccine works the day that we go to use it. You know, vaccines are very fragile, and so we need to make sure we're not exposing those vaccines to conditions that are going to damage those vaccines and cause them not to be able to work. And so we need to pay attention to the temperature ranges in which they're supposed to be stored on the bottle. A lot of times producers think, okay, I'll throw this in the fridge, it's safe we need to remember that sometimes certain parts of our refrigerator isn't the right temperature. So I, you know, I've had this happen for me that if you put something in the very back of the fridge, it might freeze. Um, If you put something in the door of the fridge, it doesn't seem that cold when you get it out. And so that's something you need to pay attention to. I've seen a lot of producers actually stick a thermometer in different, uh, you know, just a little vaccine thermometer in different parts of their fridge, just as a little experiment for themselves to really understand uh, the best way to store their, their vaccines. Additionally, There are a couple other things that can damage our vaccine. Sunlight, UV light, that is definitely not a vaccine's friend. Um, Whenever we expose it to sunlight, that can damage that vaccine um, because they can be light sensitive. And so that includes whenever we're transporting that vaccine from refrigerator to shoot side, you know, maybe it needs to be in a cooler or in a box to where it's staying safe, where it's not exposed to that sunlight. And then... When we're shoot side, you know, there's sometimes where we might have a large vaccine bottle and so we'll draw it up into our our multi-dose gun and then we'll leave that bottle set there on the table or something. And so if we're outside and the sun can hit it, then it's practically cooking that product inside of that bottle. The same way with our syringe. If we lay our syringe down on the table, because we have a breakdown in the back, you know, a gate doesn't latch or something. We need to fix something. And it takes us 15 to 20 minutes to fix that. If our syringe is laying on the table, again, that product is cooking inside that syringe. The same way goes to when it comes to cold. You know, We're starting to get into a period where it's starting to get a little bit colder, depending on where you're at in the state. I know when we woke up here this morning, it was uh 40 degrees. And so uh, we need to make sure that we're keeping those vaccines warm enough to a standpoint. Um, and so that also means that we could be putting it into a cooler to where it's insulated at a certain temperature one thing with coolers that i do want to remind producers that if we are trying to keep it warm or trying to keep it cold with ice packs depending on what kind of situation we're in you need to remember that if you're using a pack to keep something warm you don't want that product right up against the pack the same way for an ice pack you don't want your product right up against an ice pack because it can actually cause that product to slush or freeze And so that's why I always say wrap those ice packs with a towel. Uh, Nothing super thick because you still want that cold to get out of the ice pack. But you just need that separation between the pack and the bottle. Now, there are some animal health products out there that when they freeze or slush, it's not that big of a deal. But I would rather producers practice safety first with their vaccines and prevent any of that from happening because there are some products that if they do freeze, it can rupture the cell inside that vaccine where the toxin lives and release endotoxins, which could be harmful for our calves or our cows if we're vaccinating cows. So we need to make sure that we don't cause those products to to freeze. Speaking of endotoxins, another time when we can have endotoxins is when we're mixing vaccines. So a lot of uh, modified lives do require mixing. And and the reason is, is because when it is a modified live, It just doesn't stay alive. And so we have to activate that vaccine by mixing it. Now, sometimes we see on that product label where it says mix well. Mix well does not mean take it and shake it up real hard because when we do that, again, we could rupture that uh, cell inside that vaccine and release endotoxins, which could be harmful to our calves. So simply just swishing it around clockwise and counterclockwise or a couple rotations like inverting it, right, or rolling it in between the palms of our hands is enough to mix that vaccine um, adequately to ensure that it's well mixed um, to be activated for that animal. Now, since we're on the topic of uh, mixed vaccines, now's a good time to talk about how a mixed vaccine is a use it or lose it deal. And what I mean by that is uh, mixed vaccines cannot be stored. They have to be used. And once you mix a vaccine, you're time limit really starts. And so you really only have an hour to two hours to get that vaccine fully used. And so what I want to remind producers is that, yeah, you might have a really fast processing crew to where you think you can mix up three bottles at a time. The problem is, what if there's an accident? What if you have a calf go down in the alley or someone gets hurt in the back to where it it shuts you down past an hour or two hours? all that vaccine you had mixed up is now going to be useless and you don't want to put that into your calves. Um, So I always recommend to producers, mix it as you fill your syringe. If that's one vial at a time, that's totally fine. Uh, You know, you're going to get quick at mixing your vaccines. It's not that big of a holdup. Sometimes it's okay to uh, stop for a second while the guys mixing vaccines, the other employees can be fixing something else that they see might be causing an issue at that same time. So it's okay okay to take a break to mix those vaccines. Now you brought up syringes and needles. Um, You know, a good rule of thumb when it comes to needles and and what BQA has kind of always followed is changing those needles between every 10 to 15 head. Um, Another thing you can do, especially multi-dosing guns, or if you're using one of those where you actually plug the hose right into the bottle, that's where we come into that 10 to 15 head. Now, you can also change those needles every time you refill the syringe. So if you're using a multi-dose gun to where you have a large bottle that can only uh, take, where we're not completely emptying it, you don't want to put a dirty needle in that bottle anyways, especially if it's a killed vaccine or a modified vaccine. And so change that needle every time you're going to refill your syringe. Um, needles are cheap compared to the cost of vaccines and animal health, so it's okay to, to change that needle. When it comes to our syringes, It really depends on what kind of syringe you're using. You know, uh, you need to pay attention to that syringe and check it out. One thing you could do before you start is draw up some water. I would highly recommend that you get a bottle of distilled water. That way, you know, it's clean. It's kind of a, I don't really want to say sterile, but we don't have to worry about anything in that water that can contaminate your syringe. So you can draw up that water and double check that your syringe isn't leaking. I know a lot of producers, um, it's happened to us on our operation, we really get aggravated when we fill up a bottle of vaccine. And as soon as we pull that trigger one time, we realize that it's leaking because we got a bad gasket or something's loose. And so distilled water is a great way to check that out. When it, At the end of the day, when it comes time to clean our syringes, we need to make sure that we are heat sterilizing those syringes. Best way to do that, boiling water or steam. Do not use soaps or alcohols because, as a disinfectant or a detergent-like soap because they can leave a residue behind in your syringe to where the next time you use that syringe, um, it could contaminate your product and actually kill it. The soap and the disinfectants can actually kill your vaccine. And so we want to make sure that's not how we're sanitizing our syringes. Now, I know I skipped ahead on this, but I do one thing I forgot to mention on syringes is that uh, you should label your syringes when it comes to modified live and killed vaccines. If you mix that in the syringe, the killed vaccine will actually kill your modified live. And so we do not want to have products mixing up in a syringe. Additionally, some products do not play with others. And what I mean by that is we can have adverse reactions when animal health products mix in the same syringe. So Um, I also, uh, you know, I know it it costs a little bit more, but again, when it comes to the value of the products that you're using, it's probably worth having a syringe for each product. And you label that syringe and that syringe only uses that product every time you're working calves. That just prevents cross-contamination. It prevents us from having a residue left behind. Um, So it's I think it's a great idea for producers to have a syringe for each product and then have that syringe labeled.
0: Jesse, you've gone through, I think, all the fundamentals and basics of vaccinations and thinking about how to do that properly. Anything else you'd like to highlight on this today?
1: You know, one last thing uh, is checking our equipment before we start. Uh, You know, I've kind of already mentioned checking for leaks. But one thing on those syringes, you know, As we use them, as time goes on, they start to wear on us. Um, You can get a gasket kit for a lot of those multi-dose guns. They're fairly cheap for you to replace those. Um, When you are replacing those or you need to lube up a gasket to get it in, uh, vegetable oil is a great option to lubricate that gasket. Uh, Additionally, if you start to notice cracks in your barrel, so where your barrel starts to wear, you start seeing little cracks in there, but it's not leaking You need to understand that those cracks can still house parts of that vaccine or antibiotic that you use. And even though you boil it or clean it, you might not get all the residue out of that crack. And then when things get left behind and it's allowed to dry, or even if it's water that gets in there, moist environments can cause microbial growth. And so... We can have that inside those cracks to where the next time you use that syringe again, it's going to damage your product. So as soon as you start noticing cracks in the barrel, go ahead and reach out to the company that own, you know, manufactures that syringe and get you a gasket kit and new barrel on order and get that replaced, Uh, and you know, get that sent out to you. That way, you don't have to worry about that.
0: Well, Jesse, good reminders for us today. I think oftentimes we get ready to vaccinate. Maybe we haven't examined our equipment and we get to the shoot side and realize, ah, this is not what I thought it was. Just as we prepare, obviously vaccines are important and an expense, but what's even more valuable is getting it done right. Because we want to make sure that everything we, we can do to make sure the animals have a good immune response, which is going to help with their performance and health onto harvest. So thanks for your time today. Appreciate your input. Thank you. It was great to be here. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, you can find the article at the beef.unl.edu website. For more information on Beef Quality Assurance Program guidelines, we encourage you to check out the bqa.unl.edu website. Again, that's the website that Jesse Fulton maintains as part of his role as the Beef Quality Assurance Director in Nebraska.